Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Leslie Newman. And just to set the record straight, we're not related. Leslie Newman is author of 70 books for readers of all ages, including the short story collection, A Letter to Harvey Milk, which focuses on the lives of nine Jewish lesbians, the poetry collection, I Carry My Mother, which explores a Jewish daughter's journey through her mother's illness and death and how she carries on without her, and the picture books A Sweet Passover, Runaway Dreidel, Matzah Ball Moon, A Kiss on the Kepi, Here is the World, A Year of Jewish Holidays, and Quetzal the Cat, who composed. Her literary awards include poetry fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Massachusetts Artist Foundation, two American Library Association, Stonewall Honors, the Association of Jewish Libraries, Sidney Taylor Award, and the Massachusetts Book Award. A past poet laureate of Northampton, Mass., she is currently a faculty member of Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Writing Program. Welcome. It's great to have you here. To say that you are a prolific writer would be, I believe, an understatement. I wondered if you could share a little bit about sort of your story, what drew you to write, and what types of stories you want to tell. I've always written, ever since I was maybe eight years old. Actually, we moved at that point from Brooklyn to Long Island, and I was very lonely and bereft. I missed my old neighborhood. I missed my grandmother, who lived across the street and was now about 40 minutes away. So I'm not really sure what drew me to the page, but that's where I went to pour out all my emotions. Have your stories evolved much? I Maybe a silly question. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's still the same process. I still write Mm -hmm. with a pen in a lined notebook. Uh, I still sit down. uh, I like to say every morning, but that's not exactly true, but most mornings. And usually, unless I'm in the middle of working on something, I have no idea what's going to come out. And I just go on blind faith and hope something will materialize on the page that's interesting. So the process really hasn't changed. So you recently completed working on a teacher resource kit for the Yiddish Book Center's Teach Great Jewish Books website. And the kit presents resources to help uh, teachers explore the life and death of Harvey Milk and to discuss cultural, religious, and sexual identity in the context of that story. Um, The kit draws from your book of short stories, A Letter to Harvey Milk. Can you speak about the collection of stories and also the sort of larger narrative that ties the pieces in the book together. I wrote that book in 1987, and the reason I wrote that book was I was a newly out lesbian, and I couldn't find any literature that spoke to my experience. And so I realized that I was have I was going to be the one that had to write that book. So um, that's what I did. So each story focuses on a different Jewish lesbian's experience. Some are more autobiographical than others. And the title story, A Letter to Harvey Milk, Uh, seems to have taken on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been the only story with Jewish content in a lesbian anthology. It's been the only story with lesbian content in a Jewish anthology. It was made into a short film, a one-person play, and now it has become a musical. So all of that is quite astounding to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great story, but then I want to say the rest of the stories in the collection are also really strong strong narrative stories. I'm so glad to hear you say that because really A Letter to Harvey Milk, the story, as opposed to whole collection, seems to outshine the rest of the stories, and I'm very fond of all of them. Um, Yeah, they they just, they read, they read very Jewishly, and 
I guess that would be my next question. How does Jewishness figure into your work? Well, when I wrote my first novel, which was called Good Enough to Eat, again, that I wrote that in 1985. It was published in 1986, so I was even more newly out than when I wrote the short story collection. And I was actually very surprised because the narrator, Liza Goldberg, her, the, the book is told in first person, and her voice just came out uh, sounding very Jewish. And I was someone who had really rejected my Jewish identity, uh, partly because, you know, I was a very rebellious teenager, so I wanted to distance myself from my family of origin as much as possible. I'm happy to say that's no longer the case. <laughs> um, so it was very surprising to me. And one thing I realized was that when I came out, it was very clear that I was never going to be part of mainstream culture. So why not embrace all of who I am, which included, of course, being Jewish. And it seems that, if it's safe to say, you write both for yourself and for an audience of readers, um, which to me was an interesting takeaway in your work. I think it feels very personal, and yet it feels... Um, like it, it again, it, it helps to tell a larger story, um, one that one wants to put themselves into that place. Oh, that's a nice compliment. I, I really never think about audience when I write. Mm -hmm. I really just sit down and focus on the words that appear on the page. And then once I have the first draft of something, which is the hardest thing for me because I'm I know this sounds very funny, but I'm not someone who has a lot of ideas. It's kind of excruciating to come up with an idea once I finish something. But once I have something on the page, and it could be anything, then I pester it and pester it and pester it until I feel like I can make it the best it can be. And I wonder, um, I mean, it, again, the pieces and the people, the characters and the stories feel as though they have um, sort of a life beyond that moment um, in the telling. And I wonder how hard it is for you to sort of inhabit these pieces and tell these stories. That's the fun part. Yeah. You know, I, I get to inhabit all kinds of different characters, whether it's someone like Harry Weinberg, mm -hmm. who is a 77-year-old widower, or a young 12-year-old girl who has two Jewish lesbian moms in the story called Right Off the Bat. Um, so, I, you know, I get to live all these other lives that I wouldn't get to live if I wasn't a writer. And you do it very nicely. Um, I wanted to ask if you would read a passage from one of your works and then maybe just talk a little bit about the sort of the voice and the story. So what I'd like to read is the title poem from my newest poetry collection, which is called I Carry My Mother. And that uh, book explores a Jewish daughter's journey through her mother's illness with cancer and then her death and then afterwards the daughter's own grief. So this is the title poem. It's actually the last poem in the book, and it's called I Carry My Mother. I carry my mother wherever I go, her belly, her thighs, her plentiful hips, her milky white skin she called this side of snow, the crease of her brow and the plump of her lips, her belly, her thighs, her plentiful hips, the curl of her hair and her sharp widow's peak, the crease of her brow and the plump of her lips, the hook of her nose and the curve of her cheek. The curl of her hair and her sharp widow's peak, the dark beauty mark to the left of her chin, the hook of her nose and the curve of her cheek, her delicate wrist so impossibly thin, the dark beauty mark to the left of her chin, her deep-set brown eyes that at times appeared black, her delicate wrist so impossibly thin, I stare at the mirror, my mother stares back. 
her deep-set brown eyes that at times appeared black, her milky white skin she called this side of snow. I stare at the mirror. My mother stares back. I carry my mother wherever I go. What a wonderful poem. Well, thank you. So the poem is called A Pantoum. Uh, that's the form, I mean, and mm-hmm. it's a Malaysian form, very old, ancient form. And it doesn't always rhyme like this poem does, but it consists of four-line stanzas. And the second and fourth line of the previous stanza becomes the first and third line of the subsequent stanza. It sounds more complicated than it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the first line of the poem is identical to the last line of the poem, and every line in the poem is used twice. And the reason this form was so popular was because before poetry was written down, it was an oral tradition. Mm-hmm. It's still an oral tradition, and this made it easier to memorize. So did you set out with the challenge of doing that, or did you feel that that was the way to tell that story? Well, when I write, the content usually dictates the form. Mm-hmm. So I started with thinking about all the ways that I'm similar to my mother, and then just kind of this rolling effect. I mean, when I read it, I hope you could hear that there's a rhythm, the repetition Mm -hmm. um, inspires some kind of momentum to keep the poem going from the top of the page to the bottom of the page. And so um, this particular idea of having such similarities to my mom seemed to lend itself to that form. Most of the poems in this book are written in form. Uh, There's also a lot of imitations. There's imitations of Emily Dickinson and Robert Frost and Elizabeth Bishop and Dr. Seuss, all of my mom's favorite poets. And that's one way that we are just kind of tied intricately together by a love of poetry. Did you write this um, after you lost your mother? The book has three sections, as well as a, a forward and an afterward. And the first section, which is a long series of triolets, which is an eight-line um, French form, I wrote when my mom was still alive, when she was sick, and I had moved back in with my parents to take care of her. And so every night after I tucked her into her hospital bed, I went upstairs to my old childhood bedroom with a notebook and a pen, just like I did when I was a kid, and wrote a poem. The second and third segments of the book were written after she died. I was very touched reading the poems because they feel, well, they take me back to a place um, with my mother in a very personal way. And I think um, that you write very beautifully about that experience, which is I can't imagine it was easy to write about. Well, my mom one day called me over uh, to her hospital bed when she was in the hospital, and she said to me, I'm giving you permission to write about this under one condition. I said, what's the condition? She said, promise me I'll never have to read it. So, you know, my mom Mm -hmm. knows me very well. See, I still talk about Mm -hmm. her in the present tense. And she knew I would need to write about her illness and death as a way to cope and grieve and heal. So by her giving me permission to do that, I feel like that was one of the last gifts that she gave me. Um, You also have another collection of, you also have another collection of work, October Morning, a song for Matthew Shepard. I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that. So October Morning is similar in form to I Carry My Mother in that it is a book-length collection of poems that tells a narrative story. Some people call books like these novels in verse. I'm not really sure if it's an exactly a novel in verse. I think of it more as a themed poetry collection. But the book explores the murder of Matthew Shepard, who was a young gay man 
who was killed in 1998. He was a student at the University of Wyoming. He was lured to a lured out of a bar under false premises by two men posing to be gay, and they tied him to a fence, and they beat him, and they abandoned him, and he died six days later. And the day he died was the start of Gay Awareness Week at the University of Wyoming, and I was the keynote speaker. So I was on campus the day that he died, and he was part of the planning committee um, for Gay Awareness Week, and had he not been killed, I would have definitely met him. I met many of his friends and his teachers, and I made them a promise that I would do something to keep his name alive. And so the book is told in many, many voices, uh, starting with the fence, because the fence witnessed this crime, this hate crime. Uh, it also tells the story from the point of view of the truck he was kidnapped in, the pistol he was beaten with, the stars that watched over him, a de deer that kept him company throughout the night, uh, real people such as his parents and himself and his murderers, and uh, fictitious characters such as a mother, a father, a student. It's safe to say social justice um, and civil rights and those hard things which people grapple with um, figure into much of your storytelling. Well, I firmly believe in the notion of tikkun olam mm -hmm. and the way I attempt to repair the world is by creating literature that will inspire empathy in hopes that people who read my work will do something to make the world a better place. I think you've succeeded. Um, and the last question I have for you is, what are you working on now? I'm so glad you asked that question. It's an author's favorite question. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on two forthcoming children's books. One is called Giddle's Journey, an Ellis Island story. And it is a combination of the stories of my grandmother and my great aunt's journey to America at the turn of the century, well, the turn of the last century, I need to say now, <laughs> the early 1900s. And that is coming out in 2018. And it, the other book that I'm just finishing up is called Sparkle Boy. And it's about a little boy who likes sparkly things, just like his older sister, who was not very pleased by this. And it's really both their stories, a little journey that they take towards uh, acceptance together. And that's coming out in 2017. Wow. Um, well, I thank you so much for dropping by and visiting with us today and for the work that you've written. Um, it's really important work. It's beautiful work. And I think it starts a lot of conversations. Thank you so much. And thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.